Let's take a moment and thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the thousands of years of pursuit of you and the gift of your word, your holy apostles and prophets, the words of your son. We'd ask that you would bless us this morning. In your son's name, amen. We're in a variety of passages this morning, and it was rooted in my wife and I, we were out last night, and at 40 years, you sort of are just thinking, looking at the walls, going, what are we going to talk about? You start making, making up stuff. Um, and we were talking about a discussion we had had on the front porch Let me try to describe the scene. Uh, Thursday night at the big house. People kept coming over. And I don't know. I mean, it was one of those nights where nothing fruitful was said. But we, but we knew... Because nothing fruitful was said, and there was a lot of people, and there were strangers there, we didn't, people we never met before, um, various degrees of spiritual interest, but nothing fruitful was said. Five different conversations going on in the same room. Friday night, Leslie and I were out on the front porch. Nobody was there, just us. Then it changed, and people started dropping in, and we had a full porch at that point. And it was all one conversation, everybody sharing spiritual things, asking questions about the word, asking questions about the Christian walk. Just you know, one of those great conversations where everybody stops talking when the first person's talking and asking the question or giving the answer. Everybody was looking up things on their phone, but Bible things on their phone. And I commented to Leslie when we were, when we were out last night, early, because we're old, um, that you pay for the second conversation with the first conversation. Thursday night was the, just the general sense of welcome people feel. They get to come over. They don't always talk sensibly. Because they know eventually they will be in some situation where they talk sensibly. But the conversation between Evan and Leslie shifted at that point because I was thinking about what that good conversation on Friday night was about. There was interest in how do I, just broadly, faithfully live the Christian life. Everybody's always looking for that, you know, perfect piece of advice, the quotable quote that will establish things for people. And it's almost as if the Christians expect some sort of, you know, because the grace of God was so present for you in salvation that you kind of, and you, you kind of, you walk by faith, you don't know just get saved by faith, and you're kind of standing around waiting for the magic to hit you where your life will become kind of, without your participation, kind of irresistibly good. And you stop being such a, a dope. 
So I was thinking about that last night. Um, got to bed early enough. Had to lie there looking at the ceiling, thinking about what I'm going to talk about. And this passage, Romans 11, starting with 11, it's right at the end of 11, into the first few verses of 12, sprang naturally to mind. Because of something I said to Leslie. Let me read this. For God has consigned all men to disobedience that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, right there is the end of 11 chapters of theology. Okay? You, you stepped into Romans way back when, and you started reading, and the theology doesn't stop till you get to that great statement and the amen at the end. And everyone knows that in chapter 12, there starts to be a bunch of practical advice. Living the Christian life advice. Less theology. The reason I have this is the the point that he makes there in verse 32, and I made it in bold, that he may have mercy upon all. The argument that Paul is making, the argument that Paul is making throughout all of this section is Jew and Gentile alike are sinners in the eyes of God. And Jew and Gentile alike come to Christ by grace through faith. That's what it's going to be. And I don't care if you're Jews and you think you got a special road in, still Christianity. It's still Christianity. That he might have mercy on all, and then he gives this great, you know, hymn-like statement, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God. There's, the Christians should have gotten to this point, reading Paul, or listening to Paul be read, and go, yeah, amen. I'm saying it too. I'd sing this song as well. Oh, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. His mercy. That is it. When Paul in Ephesians says that the mystery hidden for ages in the gospel is how election was available to the Jews. Not to the Jews, excuse me. Election available to the Gentiles. The Gentile mission, which was so incomprehensible to the Jews, became comprehensible to Paul. This is what God had done in faith. Paul's very alert to the mercies of God. He had said in another spot that he was the chief of sinners. He was alert to what God had forgiven him. Now I'm saying this because verse 1 of chapter 12, the next verse, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, because of what I just said, because of 11 chapters of theology, and this end that, he may have mercy on all. This is what is, what is uh, uh, Christianity offered. He says, I, want, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And all of a sudden, you, you say, oh, I've heard this verse before. 
This is, I titled this, The Joy of Overly Familiar Passages. You've got to sometimes shake yourself and go, I've got, I got to approach this a different way, I've got to read a different translation so that I don't fall into the overly familiar passage lack of understanding. Yeah, I've heard this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's almost like a creed. It's a good thing. Nobody differs with it. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Yes, we know. <clears throat> Let's try to get around that. But it's basically saying, because of what happened before, remember the theology that you just read through. How many of you remember the theology of the first 11 chapters? Besides Nick. Um, the first 11 chapters of, of Romans. I'm sure that if we handed out blue books right now, for you to jot down Paul's basic argument for the first 11 chapters, hold it. You mean no? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, which is his concluding thought there at the end of 11, that he might have mercy on all, and what an amazing thing. And then he's offering this up saying, you know, here is a key verse about your life in Christ and your ability to do it. Is that you, therefore, in light of those mercies, because of the mercies, by the way of the mercy, and he even makes the, the appeal, that this comment is justified to you by the mercy. The hearer. You're, you're hearing this when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God are part of the, what should be appealing to you regarding it. Because when you are sitting there with your coffee on a beautiful morning and it's not as hot as it was this last week, and your, your grass is actually grass, and so at some moment I was out I was out in the yard, parts that were almost finished, trying to imagine a finished yard. It's possible, but it's not there yet. If you come over this evening, you'll you'll see how wrecked it is. You know what it is to think of the mercies of God and realize how much you've been forgiven. He's consigned all men to disobedience, that includes you and me, that he might have mercy on us, and he did. And what a great thing. And Paul saying, you know, those of you who have received mercy, listen to my appeal. I'm appealing to you on the basis of that mercy. So if you don't hear the mercy, if you didn't listen for 11 chapters, how are you going to hear this? The appeal is based on this. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Sounds like marching orders for everything you're supposed to be doing. And this is what Leslie and I were talking about. We were talking about 
the avoidance of doing this. The verse is fine. Everybody knows it. Familiar passage. Present your body as living sacrifice. It has to be holy and acceptable. Yeah, I struggle with the holy and acceptable part. So, um, and I really don't, I really, you know, it, and this is why I think the superstition, magical means of getting stuff from God to clean up your act is, is preferred. We don't follow this way. We don't have a spiritual worship that is rooted this way. Because I don't have a holy and blameless, acceptable state. Because I haven't renewed my mind so it didn't transform me. So that I could prove what God wanted me to do. Because you know what happens when you prove what God wants you to do? It's great to have doubts. Man, boy, doubts are swell. Doubts are, you know, who's really to say? Because whenever you could say, who's really to say about some Bible subject, you've just written yourself a check that you can go spend wherever you want to spend it. Well, really, how does this really apply? I mean, does this really think this is... Well, none of us are eager to go out and prove what is the will of God. Because nothing is worse than finding out what the will of God is. Now, I am not a pastor who believes in a personal will of God for you. I don't, you may differ with me on that. Uh, great. But I believe God, has, this is the will of God for you, that you abstain from immorality. I know that the Christian life is, to be in God's will, has to be holy. We don't kind of want that to happen. I'd rather complain midway through a trial, midway through the effects of temptation fallen to, that I need to, I need to get something done with my life, heaven. I need to fix something with my life. Well, why don't you do more about it? Well, can't you just do something religious to me? You just wave the chicken? Say the prayers? Lay hands on me? I don't care what it is. Give me a rabbit's foot. How about if you pursued God to renew every aspect of your thinking? So you could tell what was right and wrong because you can't even tell what's right and wrong. I was, I was uh, in a conversation once with somebody who, who couldn't tell what was really wrong. I mean, really couldn't tell what was wrong. I was talking to Nick uh, last night about um, somebody he's worked with that treats people awful and doesn't even spot it. Doesn't even spot his business ethics thing, you know. Doesn't even, no clue. Talk about it openly of how people were dealt with, and you're sort of staring vacantly. You realize enough as a Christian that this, these are bad people. And when we're struggling with not being holy, when we are not, when we know that the end result, because Romans is this great, great statement of the faith, that he had gotten to that point because he wanted to give people the mindset that God expected them to have, and then say, therefore. Therefore, I appeal to you to be holy and acceptable. That God receive your life as a sacrifice that is real worship. We say, no, no, we'd rather not do the real worship. Let's just do the pretend worship. And so then we'll have conferences about all the different kinds of worship you can have. And then, you know, people would come to all souls. Oh, you're singing hymns all the time, and I don't like hymns. So I really don't like your worship. It's not even close to our worship. 
It's our hymn singing you might not like. Or the happy clappy church type of worship. Or the, or the high church liturgical, you know, smells and bells, we call it. You've got to get the terminology. These are formal theological terms. Smells and bells and happy clappy. I don't know if there's a term for us. You know, dull might be the term. We want to have it be a fake worship, a religious worship, something that isn't this. Because as soon as I find out what I'm supposed to do, if I were functioning in a way, if I were looking at things in a way that knew transformation came from renewing my mind, and that transformation was proving the will of God, the good, the acceptable, the perfect. You wouldn't be able to say to your counselor, I just don't know what to do. Don't know what to do. Do the right thing. I don't know what that is. Well, maybe you should stop thinking that way, thinking like the world, and start thinking like a Christian. Because this is what it takes. You are actually not entirely magically, wonderfully informed. Have you ever noticed how understanding the world requires you think about it? You are given the love of God, the peace of God, the patience. You, you get the fruit of the Spirit by grace. You stand in the Spirit. You confess your sins. You can get the good that you need in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. But right opinions about the way the world is, the right opinion about your mind, you have to come to a conclusion that, that that's the way you think over here, and Christians think this way over here. And I've renewed my mind, I've rejected this, I've accepted that. That allows me to be transformed and I'll be able to prove what is the will of God. We kind of don't want to know, because knowing what's right to do is very hard to then overtly, overtly disobey. We don't want God's rescue until we're too far gone. We want then the answer to be somewhat easy. Now stop and ask yourself, is the way you behave at work, in the home, to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, uh, holy and acceptable. And are you confident? Because remember, proving what is good, what is the will of God, you know it for sure. Now, is it holy and acceptable? Or have you decided that you're going to make a religion that's going to replace that with cheap, you know, Japanese knockoff type of uh, Christianity. We just want adequate and acceptable, not holy and acceptable. Now, you say, man, Evan, I, I got stuff to do. Yeah, it seems to be one of them to complain about the lack of a live, living Christian life. And you know, you that's what you're going to hear. You go to another church, you, you hear about it too, but we're big on it here. 
living the Christian life and say, you know that when you're not rejoicing in the Lord, you know when you're not victorious, you want it, but this is too much to do. Uh, we don't really want to have an audit of you and your time. And I, you know I'm not a person who wants to assign you quiet time or assign you, you know, 15 minutes of prayer. That's not... I want you to want 15 minutes of prayer. I want you to want to know what God thinks like. And you find it in the Word of God. You listen to Him. You meditate on what He has said. And when we... Where would I start to look? I was asked a question Friday night by somebody in the discussion. Of what, about about the basic difference between the Old and New Covenant. Okay? This is not something Christians have any excuse at all. This is Christianity. You should have been told this. You should have spotted this. You should have saw it. But it was an honest question because we were talking about that. And I said, well, you'll want to read all of Hebrews and you'll want to read Galatians. That'll get you worked out. You say, oh, that's quite a lot of reading. No, it's not. Moby Dick is a lot longer and worse. Okay? And uh, if you want to know what the will of God is, and, and watch it, because again, that the, knowing what the will of God is, you know is ex expectant. You are expected to do it, to live it, to seek it, to worship God by its blamelessness. Much easier to just ignore this whole sermon because this whole sermon starts to suggest that if I even discover that this point is right, I'm going to have to do it. If your mind settles for one moment this morning on the idea that I have to seek God, I know I got to do it. And my disobedience is far worse when I don't. I have to do it. So it's best right about here. Say, oh my gosh, he's right. Shut down. Just start thinking about something else. School year, I don't know. School starts a couple weeks for the Logos kids. Starts tomorrow. No, in a week, right? You, you and I? Uh, how about NSA? What's it doing? These are all things you could be thinking about, really, instead of Jesus Christ. So, with my blessing, but please don't come to me for counseling. Please don't, because you know I'm going to say this to you. Seek God. Understand what's going on. How can you prove what is the will of God unless you have renewed your mind, transformed by it, ready to give him what he wants, which is a holy and acceptable life. Not a train wreck. Well, what parts do I read? The next verse. Try that. I mean, right here on the heels of it. Transform and move your mind. Okay. All right. I need, uh, do I need to go to a Bible college? Do I have to go to seminary? What do I have to do? Get a, a PhD? Uh, what sort of uh, education? Because I don't want to be a theologian. I don't want to be a minister. You're, not, you're just trying to be a faithful Christian. That means you need to look at your God. 
And the faithful Christian says, I want to renew my mind. I need to understand what's going on. Where do I go? The next verse. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. And then he steps in with the rest of chapter 12 on all these admonitions about how the body of Christ works together and has people doing different things for the good of the kingdom. In other words, people that are living the spiritual worship life, pleasing to God. The first instruction is, okay, we got a thought problem here. How well do you think of yourself? And my suspicion is, too well. Just suspicion. Because we're all really good at that. I like me. And I'm chubby. Okay? I've seen myself in a mirror without my shirt on. I am under no illusions. I'm white. Florid, I think the word is. Reddish. Um, 63, almost 64. Can't be a good sight. It isn't. I still really like me. I mean, really, a lot. And if I were ever obedient to the command to love you like I love myself, you would feel so loved. <laughs> I'm just really kind of disobedient on that point because I really like me. Now let's just say I'm projecting. But I suspect you do too. And you say, Evan, Evan yeah, he really does like himself. He is so wrong. And just like with me, so are you. Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Did you notice that the word think was three times in that verse? Do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There's an oughtness of thought and there's an actualness of thought. Did you even think about the thinking part? And I know that some of you have shut down already because you know that if you hear this, you're going to have to do it. So, whoever's left, and the person who's not listening anymore, says, he's waving his arms. Why is he waving his arms? Ah, back to, back to sports. And whatever the, the real thought. Do you know who you are? With sober judgment. Think with sober judgment, because it is possible to think of yourself incorrectly, and you need to think of yourself correctly, because... The renewal of your mind about every number of things that touches on you is your transformation. You are the result of what you value, what you think, what you conclude. God has leverage of his power, his Holy Spirit, the grace, the faith, the forgiveness, all sorts of leverage, and he is working with somebody who thinks he's a poached egg. Okay? That's the basic distinction. You're... Have you ever met or counseled somebody that had a very inaccurate view of who they were? And we're having a lot celebrated in our culture right now that people who are ludicrously wrong about what they are are being celebrated for how ludicrously wrong about what they are they affirm. They just, I'm, I'm really a pony. Okay, good. I'm a woman, but you're not. No, I am. These are people that are pretty mixed up. 
And all of us are mixed up to some degree. You know that the grace of God, to some degree, has a, a barrier, a speed bump, a objection that stands in the way of God's efforts in their life because they don't even know themselves. So the first instruction of correcting your mind is don't be a conceited ass. If you want it biblically phrased at the end of Elihu's remarks in Job, for he does not regard any who are wise in their own conceits. And that leads into a wonderful passage, which I did not put here on the sermon, uh, of all this instruction of good things that we we start to recognize if we humbled ourselves in the way we ought to about who we were, to not think of ourselves too highly. Now, I trimmed off all that instruction because I want you to pursue that instruction. Those of you who are still listening and finding out that the nature of this life is that you be in pursuit of the mind that God has offered to give you. But you've got to find it. You've got to seek it. Trimmed all that off because I was thinking of this other passage that came to mind as I stared at the ceiling last night. Out of Luke 8. Now this is right at the end, right after the uh, uh, parable of the sower in Luke. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a vessel, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hid that shall not be made manifest, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. This is something that is going to, whatever the circumstance, whatever you got to, um, wherever, however you choose to live, we're all going to know about it. Somehow. Everything plays out. The righteous play out righteous. The foolish play out foolishly. The wicked are revealed. Then it says, the the passage that I was thinking of when I turned to this passage, Take heed then how you hear. For to him who has will more be given, and from him who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. It's one of the meanest verses in the Bible. Oh, because what does the rest of the world say? Oh, he doesn't have any. Let's take from this guy who has more and give it to the guy who doesn't have any, because he doesn't have any. Oh, you have an ice cream sandwich. At least break it in half, for heaven's sake. Be a Christian. And it's like Jesus is standing there looking at the guy without the ice cream sandwich and then pushing him down a flight of stairs. No ice cream sandwich, is it? He wants something out of you, our Lord does. He wants righteous, holy worship understood because his world is understood and you know what he wants. You hear what he wants. Take care how you hear. Because if you're not going to listen, remember, remember, I'm waving my arms again for you people who are not listening. But if you're not listening, this is what is going to happen. You didn't take care how you heard. 
what if you if you had picked up some pursuit of God more is available to you to him who has will more be given and those who sat there and said well you know I, I, I'm in favor of religion I'm in favor of Jesus I'm here aren't I why can't things work out for me why doesn't God make me a better you know person why am I such a dope because you probably who have not who have not listened you think you have something even what he thinks that he has will be taken away it's going to be a denial it's a not a choice between you know this is America free freedom of religion freedom of social mobility pursuit I can establish a good income get some good friends have some good hobbies everything will be fine um, I'll join a church that's a little less insistent about holiness and that will be fine. American middle class up against the deeper walk. And Evan, you could be an advocate of the deeper walk all you want, but the middle class will do for me. You don't get that. God is busy prying your cold dead fingers from the life you wished you had. Because you will wake up one day in your 70s wondering what in Hades just happened. It's he doesn't let you get away without being shoved down the flight of stairs. You don't get to say, well, this will be good enough. I guess I'll, I'll just lord it over this part of the world. I will have my religion work out for me. You see church after church falling, minister after minister falling. You see uh, all sorts of things going sideways on people because they have not pursued proving what is the will of God what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Because they suspect they might have to give up some of their theology, they suspect that they might have to give up some of their choices in life, and they don't want to give up those choices in life. Now, this is coming at the end of the parable of the sower. And I didn't include that. Just like I didn't include chapter 12 of Romans, which has a lot of good stuff in it. I didn't include the parable of the sower, because you know it. It's, it would be like too much overly familiar passage. But I want you to remember them. Right? Path, rocky, thorny, good soil. Right? Four kinds of circumstance. And you realize... There's all sorts of ways we think we stand in those. I mean, there are people who don't even believe. That's the path, right? They don't believe. And they think, this is, they think I'm, I'm fine. I just don't believe. I'm agnostic. I'm a doubter. It hasn't been proved to me. All sorts of a, Even what you have will be taken away. You'll have no sure assurance of anything. We were talking uh, about some people that had expressed at a, a neighborhood gathering how their daughters were very disappointed they'd been raised without any religion. The daughters were disappointed that they didn't even have 
that. These are college-age daughters who were disappointed. The parents had made all these agnostic sort of decisions and denied them even nominal religion. And they felt the absence of it. And their life is going to Hades. No belief. And then there are people, I call them trial babies. These are the people that, oh yeah, this cre- oh, it's going to hurt. Oh, it's going to be hard. People are going to be mean to me. I don't want people to be mean to me. I'm out. They don't understand who it is they serve. What kind of mind do you have to have to say, I believe this, but no, no, I don't really actually believe that God is in charge of my life now. Then there are people who, it's the good things, not the bad things. Oh, I didn't know it could be work, work out this well. I didn't know Christianity in America could be this pleasing, this financially rewarding. It says the cares of this world and the delight in riches keep them from being fruitful. Then there are people who hear it, hold it honestly, and see how it words that. At the end of uh, this section it says, uh, And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bring forth fruit with patience. Remember it told you, take heed how you hear? This is how you hear. How did you look? How did you pursue? How did you hear? How did you hear it with an honest and good heart? Did you have integrity in what you were doing? Were you intent on bearing fruit? Are you, are you about this at all? Or are you just laying the groundwork to have it all taken away from you? Remember that scene? I didn't think of this before. That scene at the end in the last battle um, with the dwarves fighting in the middle of a banquet that they thought was... Well, they were all wrong. They couldn't see. And they had all been Narnians, you know. They'd all been churchmen. They'd been given the opportunity and didn't see. What's that? Hold it honestly, with integrity, bear fruit. Do you want it? Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him for the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And he said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Do you realize what Jesus is really not friendly to your standard of measure? Our standard of measure. Family first. Family. Tribe. Jesus says, no, even the BVM, I'm not going outside for her. Because she, though blessed for having the Christ, is not important to someone who is doing what Jesus Christ told him. Our whole thing is to become like Christ told us to be. We are following a God. Now, I want to end this sermon. And you're looking at Proverbs 23, 6 and 7 and going, why in the world is that there? I've read ahead. That doesn't make any sense. I've listened to the sermon. I wasn't one of those who shut it down because I didn't want to have to do it. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy nor desire his delicacies. 
For he is like one who is inwardly reckoning. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. (laughs) Evan was probably, the effects of his Pop-Tart had worn off. He's just typing. First verse that came to mind, he throws it in there. Because I've got to make the sermon reach the bottom of the page. Now, this verse stuck out to me. Another one lying at the ceiling. Remember thinking of it, going, can't forget this. What a good verse. Look it up. Couldn't, for the sake of me, find it. Because the verse says, as a man thinketh, so he is. Thinkest, excuse me, not thinketh. Thinkest, as a man thinkest, so he is. I couldn't find it with a Bible search on my computer. I couldn't find it. You know, I said, but I got this verse. What, what a great title verse. That's what I'm trying to say to you. As you think, so you are. That's the verse. That was just the King James. As a man thinkest, so he is. So it's for he is like one who is inwardly reckoning. Because it's not even the same. Not even close. I said, well, I, I want to first put that in there because if that verse sprang to your mind, because people would, I wanted to have this corrective, but it's not really a corrective. It's just an example. It's not proving the point. It's not titling the point. Here's the stingy man. The way he actually thinks his inward reckoning. He's telling you, oh, eat all you want, but you, you kind of know he doesn't want to eat all you want. Oh, yeah, it's all you can eat. Yeah, sure, have one of my better cigars. Because when Evan says that, and you take one of my better cigars, and you smoke an inch of it, and put it out, you will, you will be damned eternally. Now, there's a special ring in hell for those people. But you know what it's like to have that inward reckoning. You know that your real life about dealing with people, loving others, the stingy man is not loving others, his inward accounting for everything in his life, he says the loving thing. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Is he doing what he ought? Has he proved what is the will of God? Has he corrected himself by renewing his mind so he's not stingy anymore? It agrees with the idea. It's just not a proof text. That's my encouragement. That the saints realize that this is a process we participate in that we have to pursue. You're either pursuing it or you aren't. You're figuring, I'm not telling you what the answers are, I'm just telling you that the pursuit is necessary. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this cooler day. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.